Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We are here talking with uh, Morro Bay attorney Todd Porter about elder abuse. Now, Todd, right before the break, uh, you had told us about the first couple of really significant problems that that uh, one has to look out for. But you said that the, there was a third one that was the worst. Can you talk to us about that? When I say the worst, I, I don't mean um, worst in terms of culpability. I mean the, the hardest to, to handle, meaning where uh, mm-hmm. morality becomes blurred. And here's my point is when you have an, a third party who's a, outside the circle of trust, um, preying upon a, a dependent person, that becomes a very morally clear uh, thing to act upon, right? right? There's, you, you, as a lawyer, it's easier to identify yes. for people. And and the the much harder one is when you're dealing with um, somebody that let's again use an elderly el- elderly person as an example, or the person that care, cares for them deeply loves the person and is doing an amazing job taking care of them, and is their lifeline in life, and yet at the same time is financially abusing them. So, and and so now it becomes. Um, much more morally complicated. This could be a family member. It could be someone who's just close to them um, and has cared for them. Um, uh, wh- what do you think tends to motivate that? Is that something that is part of figuring out how to prove that the abuse has occurred? Uh, so um, motiv- human motivation is always an interesting thing. It, it uh, is, isn't it? And so, so sometimes it could be... Um, survival, meaning that the person thinks they need to financially take advantage of that person to economically survive. Uh, other times, you know, where, where does survival uh, stop and greed begin? It's hard, mm-hmm. hard, hard to say at, at times. Uh, oftentimes in these situations, uh, the person thinks that they're morally deserving, meaning that, well, no one else is caring for this person. I'm caring for this person. I'm, I'm loving this person. I'm I'm the most important person in their life. and If they and were in a convalescent facility, it would be, you know, yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. And so, so there's all kinds of, of just- justifications. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, at, at, at times there may be merit to it, and that's why it becomes morally ambiguous and, mm-hmm. and why why they – so when I hear those kinds of cases, I, I kind of I kind of back up a little bit because they're – again, it's um, – they're complicated, morally complicated. I, I, and you know, I'm, I'm selfish. I want a, a morally clear purpose in my representation. At least that's my preference. And sometimes we don't get it, but it's, uh, but that becomes, sort of, uh, the most difficult case to evaluate. If you have uh, folks who know someone that's a neighbor or know someone who's a family member that. Uh, maybe they aren't able to contact as frequently as they would like. What are the kinds of things that they should be looking for in order to decide if abuse is occurring? So you, you really just hit upon the, the, the primary risk factor. The primary risk factor in any kind of abuse is isolation. Yeah. So, that, so that when a person is isolated, um, that they, they beca- can potentially become a target. And if a person has a, a network of friends and family and, and frequent interaction with persons, you can imagine that with respect to predatory contracts, say, well, so-and-so wants to replace my gutters, and what do you think, right? You can bounce it off somebody into that. No. Uh, $100,000 to replace the gutters. Yeah, something like yeah. that. And, mm-hmm. and, so, and it's, it's kind of like beware of dog, right? It's so that, that, that predators really aren't interested in the hard mark, 
generally. Right. You know, but they're, and, they're, lo- they're looking for the wounded animal. Yeah, and then the person that is isolated where people aren't going mm-hmm. to ask questions. And so that if you're, you know, sitting as, as a family member, what can you do for somebody in your family? Stay it, in touch. Stay in touch and, you know. Visit and, frequently. And visit frequently and encourage that person to, to, to remain engaged in life through social activities, social activities. And sometimes you can't, right? So right. Sometimes you can't. But uh, the, the more of it, the better, mm-hmm. and, and the less likely they are to be uh, financially, physically abused or neglected. And so that's the, really the most practical advice you can give anyone. You know, that, that is, and uh, with the uh, freedom that people have in California now to build uh, accessory dwellings, um, you know, uh, having an elderly family member close uh, is very important to preventing them from being abused. So uh, it may be the kind of thing that people went, may want to consider to add on to their own house and bring their mom or dad or grandparent um, in to live with them. And, and to that very point is that, you know, one of the drivers of, of the abuse of this class of persons is the decline of multi-generational homes. It is. Yes. It is. Well, I, I want to take a little bit of time yes. because we have some important things coming up. Let yes. me just tell our listeners that you want to tune in to FM 98.5 next Saturday. That's September 23rd at 10 a.m. Adam Verdon will talk to us about his ideas to resolve conflicts over the dunes between the anti-dune buggy forces and the 2.3 million visitors who come to use the Oceano Dunes State Recreational Vehicle Park every year. Then we're going to have Ben Helig on, and he's going to tell us why he thinks you should support the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association ballot initiative this year that's going to restore property taxpayers' right to pass on their lower tax assessments to their children and grandchildren. My listeners know that in my state planning practice, figuring out how to take advantage of the exceptions in Proposition 19 from 2020 for people is actually a major thing that we do. The uh, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association wants to roll back that particular initiative so that you can pass your property on to your kids again. Now, if you'd like to hear this program, Again, you can live stream it at knews985.com. And, of course, you can get the podcast of this show after about 1 p.m. on Saturday. Let's get back to talking to lawyer Todd Porter from Morro Bay. Uh, You know, I think I'd like to talk a little bit about the mock trial program over at Cal Poly, if we could. I'd love to talk about that, yes. How many many classes are you... an instructor for these days? So, um, uh, two at a time, but I, okay. I, I teach two, polls 245, judicial process, polls 340, American judicial politics, polls 334, jurisprudence, which is code for philosophy of law, and then polls 295 and 395, which is foundations of mock trial and advanced mock trial. And, and when he says polls, he's talking about political science. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, political science and law kind of go hand in hand. Um, now, now the, uh, the mock trial program, how many young people do you usually have per quarter in that? So it's, um, 
I'll, I'll just tell you about the program in general. So that uh, Cal Poly mock trial and, and the, the class mock trial are related but separate. And mm-hmm. so uh, Cal Poly mock trial is what's called an a, uh, instructionally related activity, an IRA, but different kind of IRA. And it, it serves... It, you, can't, you can cash that one in. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it will serve generally <laughs> between um, 60 and 80 students from a variety of majors. Wow. Who are um, uh, in, engaged in mock trial competition? So you could be in the an ag major, and you can be in the mock trial program. Absolutely. And there's plenty of ag majors who end up going to law school. I was I, one of them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and so that, uh, and then in general that during what's there's the season is broken up into two seasons. Okay. And it's what's called the invitational season. And then the season run by American Mock Trial Association, or AMTA, where it becomes a regional competition all the way up to national. So the Invitational, you invite other uh, teams to come from other colleges and universities here. And what's the, what's the second season? The second season is a season run by AMTA, uh, yeah. and, and it starts with a regional competition. And so last year and the year before and the year before, we sent four teams to regionals. And then from there, you qualify for what's called the um, Open Regional Championship Series. And so we we usually qualify one to two teams to ORCS, another acronym. And then from time to time, we qualify a team for nationals. Sounds like you're going whaling, ORCS. Yes, yes or but, Lord, but, Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> but um, and, then it, and so two years ago, we qualified a team for nationals. Okay. And, and so Cal Poly, there's approximately six... 150 teams nationally under AMTA's banner, and that Cal Poly is ranked in the 50s, so doing pretty well nationally. Now, um, the, the first season, is that going to qualify some of the teams to go on to the second season? Uh, no, and so the, the, the first um, season is really kind of a warm-up, and so uh, that, that's, and then after the invitational season, teams are reorganized and stacked. You're required to stack teams and then you qualify by going to regionals. We've got a hard break here, folks. There's some very important ads coming up. Stay tuned. We're going to talk more about Mock Trial with Todd Porter.